It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So you you hate wrestling. If I have a child, they will never wrestle. Never, ever, ever. Because I've got a lot of reasons for this. First of all, I don't want my kid to have ugly ears. All right? Because they've got to live with those for the rest of their life. Hey, it is a mark of respect. My coach in high school had it, and he said, he's like, that's how you know you're going to find a good husband. He's a very big Trump supporter, though, and he also does a lot of gender things. Love you, Coach Foster, but... Uh, so if I hadn't gotten banned from Tinder, I would totally put on my bio looking for a man with mushroom ears. It's cauliflower oh, ear, cauliflower not mushroom ears. ear. That sounds like a completely separate problem. And if if you at home are thinking that describes you, like you have mushroom ears. I want you. Nino. I've been looking for a husband. Oh, you know what my student did say to me this week? What? Um, He was eating and I was like, you... And he was making a mess. And I was like, you look like you need a napkin without missing a beat. He goes, you look like you need a husband. So. <laughs> wow. That is a rude child. And uh, on that note, welcome everyone uh, to another episode of White Collars, Red, Red Hands. Hands. Uh, I am Kashan Batador staring across the table at. The ugly voiced Nina Kern. Yeah. So it turns out uh, someone was talking to my girlfriend and they thought that Nina was ugly just based on listening to the podcast. I don't know what to say to that. I was born with this voice. I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily the quality of your voice, um, but more like the words you say. Mm, that could be. You seem like someone who would like, I don't know, like chain smoke in a trailer. In another life, I think that was me. Like just by the little snippets we get from you on the podcast and s- some of the things you say. Okay. I grew up in Ohio, and we are trashy, so I don't know what people want from me. Sorry, everyone in Ohio. All of our Ohio Ohio listeners, I love you. stinking sacks of trash. We love every listen you give us. Nina is one of you. She is also a stinking sack of trash. I am you. Uh, You guys are probably wondering, why were they talking about wrestling? Besides it just being one of Kashan's big... Uh, passions in life, weirdly, uh, that Nina hates because you know I ca- his girlfriend told me about uh, that passion for wrestling that he has. It's because I, I take her down all the time. Double leg, high crotch. Do you ball and chain her? Oh my god! <laughs> no, she doesn't have uh, one half of that move. I just chain her. To the bed. Oh my god! In a closet. Oh my god! You're, and you don't give her food you're or water. <laughs> probably wondering why we were talking about wrestling, and that's because today we're going over uh, something tied very closely to the sport of wrestling. Uh, this is actually going to be our season finale. We're going to do uh, ten episode seasons, so yes. we're going to be taking two weeks off after this. Yes. Uh, before we start producing uh, and releasing season two. But uh, we have something special in mind for the season finale of each season. Mm-hmm. And, and we're not going to, or are we going to tell them? Yeah, we're going to be going over 
Murder. Murder. So we're jumping on that uh, true crime bandwagon. Uh, Most of the time we like to do stuff that doesn't involve too much murder just because there's so many things like that. But uh, But this one, it's a special one. Yeah, rich people that kill are not always out there. Uh, We're actually talking about the only person ever listed on the 400 richest people in the world list to ever be convicted of murder. Who is that, you ask? John Eluthier, I think. I don't know. I'm not French. DuPont. I won't give my opinion of the French, so there's that. He didn't let anyone call him by that middle name. Like he hated, Oh, I wonder why. He hated why. that middle name. I wonder why. Eluthier. 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 Oh, Jean Eluthier DuPont. Oh, man. Now we're getting another, another one of Nina Kern's famous dialects. French. I could say, so I dated someone who was French. I know a few French sayings. They're all horrifically inappropriate. Why don't you give me a taste? I want a little, I want a taste. Uh, ta gueule, ça pute. That means shut up, you dirty slut. thought I meant tiger pussy. So. Nope. Uh, uh, baiser la chat. That's f- fuck the pussy. Great. Is or that, ma chat. Now, now I'm assuming that's all he was saying to you mm-hmm. when you guys... um. No. Did the deed. What was it? Pussy la chat. No. Pussy la chat. He usually spoke in English. Great. So I would understand. Great. Yeah. Oh, baguette. Um. Yeah. Every time I went to visit him and then I would go home and my dad would see me, he would ask me if I had a baguette in the oven. That's gross. Um, I never did. So John E. DuPont was born on the uh, 22nd of November, 1938 in Pennsylvania, the youngest of four children of William DuPont. And Gene Austin. Not, not Jane Austen. Not Jane Austen. She did not write Pride and Prejudice. At least not that I know of. Uh, and the heir to the French family's fortune, the uh, the DuPonts are a very, uh, very wealthy family. They have kind of created a dynasty here in America of wealth that started with their development of a chemical company during the Civil War. Yeah, they had been here a long, long time. Yeah, they had been around and he and he just happened to be the youngest child of William DuPont and uh there I will say that his parents did uh divorce when he was yeah. two so he wasn't around his dad all that often uh, but he still grew up at their uh, expansive mansion at uh Lysetter Hall it was a beautiful mansion did you know that uh his mother's estate and that mansion were uh designed after Thomas Jefferson's house oh yeah the big the big Slave plantation? Yeah, they designed it after Thomas Jefferson. That would explain why it looked like a plantation. Yeah. And I was like, Yeah, I found that out today, and I was like, huh, very interesting. But they were here during the Civil War, so they might have owned slaves. I don't know. I never Uh, saw anything specifically about it. I mean, that doesn't totally disqualify them, but... Yeah, I mean, not all northern state, not everyone in northern state was all for abolition, you know? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there, but I've heard. <laughs> you don't have to be there to know that. I wasn't there. Uh, but he, he grew up at Lysander Hall. Uh, and on this 2,000-acre uh, property, his mother had set up a uh, horse breeding farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his dad called Foxcatcher Farms. Which... Catcher. That'll be coming back uh, because they, they hunted. So, Foxcatcher. Catcher. I don't even know her. I'm gonna let you sit with that one. <laughs> Is that that's gonna go in your your packet, your late night packet for shows? That, yeah, that, that joke. Yeah, cool. I sell out. 
with that joke. Yeah. You sell out your mirror because it's just you listening. Uh, so because his parents divorced it too, uh, John was a very isolated child. Nah, okay, hold on. Okay. Back it up. Okay. Just because his parents divorced, he was isolated? No, that's part of it. I think that was on his mother. Oh, yeah. Because I know a lot of people... Most of the people I know's parents are divorced, and they were not isolated. Yeah, well, they also didn't live on fucking 2,000-acre mansions where they had servants and shit. Again, on his mother. Okay, great. Um, but what is on his mother is that because he didn't have anyone around to, like, play with him, literally she would hire children to come in and have playdates with him. He's like Richie Rich. Except for people liked Richie Rich. Richie Rich like had a friend and a dog named Dollar, but oh, that's right. <laughs> dollar signs is set of spots. Um, I forgot about that part of the movie. But John Dupont had no, no dog one. named Dollar. And no one. He just had friends that were paid for, it, and he found out, and he was so upset, as you would be. That would be such a bummer. I feel bad for him. Yeah, and th- and that's the thing. It was literally basically just him and his mom alone all the time. Which, I love my mother, but yet you cannot spend all of your time growing up just with your mom. You will turn out weird. No, there's somebody that I know from Ohio who has a very unnatural attachment to her mother, and mm-hmm. it it's not good. No? No. <laughs> She's, like, really not a normal functioning adult, but... And neither was John DuPont. Yeah. So, uh, but th- that being said, uh, he did graduate from high school. He graduated from the Haverford School in 1957 and then immediately went off to the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, but he did drop out um, before he finished his freshman year, which le- left him time to, he, he decided to pursue his other passions. Uh, John DuPont was an ornithologist. Tell us what an ornithologist is. They study birds. Nice. Uh, and he took this time to like take all because he was rich. He can do whatever he wants. He took all these tours uh, across the seas of the uh, birds, and, and he studied birds in the field. That's already a red flag. It, I, I don't like birds. I hate birds. Okay. If anybody was like, you know what, Nina? I love birds. I'd be like, you're weird. Not every ornithologist is a crazy person. I didn't say crazy person. I said a red flag and weird. Yeah, you're insinuating it. But how do you say if someone has a red flag and it's weird that it, that they're not crazy for doing it? I don't know. <laughs> cool. Uh, I just think it's strange when people are obsessed with birds. Yeah, this guy is a weird guy. John DuPont would feed the pigeons. He's, he's like, one of those people. He's a pigeon person. He's the lady from uh, Mary Poppins. Yeah. He's, like, he's also the, the lady. Birds. So where near where Kashan and I live, there's a Walgreens, and in the front of that Walgreens, I don't know, about 150 pigeons like to hang out, and people will ignore the "Don't feed the pigeons" $500 fine sign, and they'll just feed the damn pigeons. You got a lot of feelings about this. John Dupont would have fed those pigeons. He would have fed the pigeons. You're right. That shit everywhere. Uh, but he did come back from uh, touring overseas to study birds, which I don't think is weird, but obviously Nina does, uh, to come back at the University of Miami, where he got his Bachelor's of Science in Zoology. And then he eventually went on to study at uh, Villanova University, where he uh, attained a doctorate in natural science in 1973. Did his mom pay for his uh, diploma, too? Of course she did. Yeah, they have they have millions of dollars. The Dupont family has hundreds of millions of dollars. 
I don't think he actually did his work. A doctorate costs nothing. He was he wrote books. He was not okay. He he knew his stuff about I birds just specifically. Don't trust bird people. So I am just trying to like poop on him any way I can. Man, dude, so when you watch Sesame Street as a kid, you just hate Big Bird. You're terrified of Big Bird. I think you had something go on so, like with some guy in a Big Bird costume, and now it's affecting you to this day. Bringing up my trauma. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Not that I remember. <laughs> you blocked it out. I might have blocked it out. You repressed that memory. I did. Thanks for bringing it to the surface. Uh, so John DuPont would go on to have a lot of uh, ties with Villanova University from here on out. Um, we'll talk about something specific later, but he also had a swimming facility there named after him. So mm-hmm. uh, the John E. DuPont complex, they're very uh, inventive at naming. Well, they, all universities do that, though. Yeah. Like, if anybody donates a bunch of money, they just name the building after them. Yeah, and he did He did like to donate money. I will say that. He, he did. was a philanthropist. There we go. Ornithologist and philanthropist. And uh, it, so there's a movie that was made off of this called Foxcatcher in 2014 with Steve Carell and Channing Tatum. And I was talking with Nina earlier uh, before we started this. There's just a scene where they're in a helicopter and they literally repeat the phrase, uh, ornithologist, philatelist philanthropist just over and over and over again for like a minute it's a, at least a minute of the movie is just them repeating this phrase that was i i think when i go to watch the movie it'll be my favorite part great they're doing cocaine off a mirror at the same time too so oh oh you left that part out okay the, the cocaine doesn't make it interesting immediately no but that, of course that's why they're repeating stuff no he does he does like uh channing tatum's character does the cocaine like halfway through the scene so he's already saying it oh all right don't don't at me bro was it at least good coke hundreds of millions of dollars nine of course it's good coke do you know where they got it from jesus i don't know he's probably got a coke farm out back a coke farm where he pays people to go out and and make the cocaine i don't know do the coke stuff he's rich enough that he can do that um, I'm not. You're you're probably thinking you're like, Kashan, did you say philatelist? And that doesn't mean that he was a pro at sucking dick, which maybe he was. But that's actually the term for someone who collects stamps. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Uh he owned the the most expensive stamp in the world. It was it's this stamp from eighteen fifty six England. Uh he bought it for like six million dollars. Yeah. One stamp. It. And it sold for a lot of money. Yeah, it sold. Uh, he ended up selling it later for $9.5 million. It is the rarest stamp in the world. Um, I, I think that's really, I don't know. I don't understand. Well, okay, never mind. You know what? I'm going to stop saying mean things. <laughs> I just also don't understand people that collect stamps. What's the point? No, yeah, I mean, like, here's the thing. He did He did a bad thing. So you can say some mean stuff about him. That's totally fine. I just fine. think it's weird when people collect stamps. Like, why? My grandpa collected stamps, so I don't know. Can you know. tell me why? Yeah, it was just a hobby. It was just something for him to do. Well, I got ri- I got written a letter from Buzz Aldrin, the second man on the moon, because of it. Oh, that's pretty cool. He got a uh, first edition stamp run mm-hmm. when they landed on the moon. and oh, then he cool. And then he sent a message to Buzz Aldrin, a letter, and he's like, can you write a letter to my grandson? And he sent one back. So he paid on Buzz the- Aldrin to write you a letter. He didn't pay it. He sent he sent the cover letter for the stamp, like the original stamp, and it's written on there. I actually have a stamp collection somewhere. It's probably worth money. So speaking of stamps, when I was in sixth grade, we had to do a stamp project, right? And they were like, you need to make a stamp off of somebody important in your life. 
And um, my mom got so upset with me because I chose to make a stamp of Vanna White because I loved Wheel of Fortune. You love Vanna White? I made a stamp of her in sixth grade and my mom was so mad at me. So you wanted to be a ring girl and then you idolized Vanna White. I think like you just love the idea of pretty women and like pretty women just standing there. That's because I voice and people think i'm ugly so i want to be pretty i think i think you're just you just want to get paid for being pretty like that's like your that's the top thing well i've aged out of that you're right i have i'm 28 i've aged out yeah that's when they start cutting all of the the women from hollywood movies they're like nope sorry i will never be anything get out of here if you're not sigourney weaver out of here or meryl street or meryl street out of here they play all the older characters Kathy Bates. We're going to, the, the the male lead in this is 45. The female lead can be 22. That's fine. Yeah, that's normal. That's okay. That looks right. Uh, but back to John DuPont. He, uh, he ended up founding a history museum, too, the Delaware Museum of History in 1957, where he served on the uh, board and helped the institution open uh, in actual physical location in 1972. Um, and... My favorite fact about John DuPont is that in 2015, uh, a podcast actually uh, uh-huh. came out, and it turns out that one of the people close to DuPont uh, was told by him in confidence that and now we're going to talk about it that John DuPont was a eunuch. He had he had no bowels. No balls. He had no balls whatsoever. He was in a horse running accident where he got thrown onto a fence. Ugh. Oh, ah, uh, oh. That caused Stop. an injury to his testicular area <laughs> that then became infected, and they had to snip those babies off there. Oh, my God. Do you know how bad that had to hurt? Yeah, probably a I lot. don't even have balls, and I'm he like, ah. He skewered his balls. Yeah, probably hurt a bit. Oh, my God. So, so, so he wait. took testosterone supplements. Because he ain't got no balls. I think I know the answer to this question, but I had horrible anatomy lessons mm-hmm. in school. Mm-hmm. You couldn't get a boner then, right? No, you got to get. Yeah, you can get a boner. I thought you couldn't. No, you can get a boner. I thought you couldn't have sex if you had no balls. No, you can still have sex. You can't oh. come because you'll uh, never come. No, because it's stored in the balls. You can't just shoot a blank. No, you're t- well. It, it might you might uh, shoot seminal fluid, but like sperm is made in well, the testicles. Well, right. I know he's not going to shoot sperm, but yeah. But like when they, he might goose something. I don't know. I'm not this guy. I have testicles, thankfully. Let's cut him off. And one of them, just like everyone else, right? Yeah. Cool. You and Lance Armstrong, one ball, <laughs> just like the rest of the world. I have two testicles, please. Uh, that was a joke. Uh- <laughs> uh, Jesse, get in here. Does Kashan have two testicles? And even though he didn't have balls. Uh, in 1983, John Dupont married a woman who was 16 years younger than him. Than him, her name was Gail Wank. Very attractive name, Wank. Uh, because he, John, entered his hand in an auto accident, and she was a physical therapist. And they met after the accident. Okay, so how long was he ballless before this? So you know? it, uh, we don't know exactly when he lost him. Uh, Damn it. But the uh, person who was close to him, Mark Schultz, who we'll talk about in a little bit, um, believes that it was probably in his early 30s. So it would have been so, before he got married in 1987. Yeah, I was going to say, this would be before he got married. Yeah. Well, he had to marry a woman 16 years younger because she didn't know that balls were a thing. She's like 
She's like in her thirties. Like you don't get Still to doesn't know you don't bubbles. get you don't get to like your early thirties and be like I don't know what testicles are. I had never seen a pair of hairy goose eggs in my life. Like what? I don't know. She could have been very sheltered. I mean, maybe, but I feel like even the most sheltered of people by thirty, they're going to find out what testicles are. Unless you were like literally chained in a basement, and then you probably won't speak. Aww. So you'll be like that girl. On Oprah, the feral child. <laughs> Great. Named Brittany. <laughs> or like those two kids from the movie Mother. I mean, uh, no, wait. It's, no, it's not Mother. It's an, it's a horror movie. The I don't Shining? remember. No, not The Shining. You just said any. Well, I was thinking the two kids. Nah. It's like there's one where it's like they're, these feral kids are literally in the woods and they like find them. Children of the corn. <laughs> it's not children of the corn. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know. I'll figure it out later. But, okay. <laughs> but this is when you first find out that John Dupont maybe has kind of a nefarious side because they were only married for four months, or they were only living together for four months. They were only married for ten months, uh, and then he got a divorce, and she sued him for five million dollars because she said that he pulled a gun on her and then threatened to push her into a fireplace. <laughs> And he said something along the lines like, I could kill you. And because of who I am, no one would ever like I would never serve a day in jail for it. So he was wrong about that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that was that was in 1987. I feel bad for her. I feel bad for her, too. Yeah. No, she she was actually in one of the documentaries I watched. She was in a team fox catcher on Netflix that I watched. How and did she look? Like someone who you think like like a Gail Wang. She look like wank. she looks she like glasses? a Gail Wang. Yeah, she does. Curly brown hair that's short. Blonde. Oh, yeah. Was it short? Like mm. a pixie cut? Medium. It was mm. medium. Mm. Mm. So I guess doesn't look like a Gail Wang if Gail Wang is what uh, Nina was thinking of. Yeah, my Gail has brown hair. Uh, but also, when he was going and pursuing birds across the <laughs> across the uh, countries, he developed a love for like Olympic sports. He had this thing where. He thought that an Olympic gold medal was the pinnacle of a human being. Like, it was I mean, it was the best thing you could achieve in life. I mean, you're not, like, he's not totally wrong. No, it's a, it's a very big feat. And he tried, he tried to become an Olympic athlete. He competed in modern pentathlons, and he uh, was a swimmer. But basically, everyone told him, he's like, he was fit and in shape, but everyone was like, dude, you're not good enough to be an Olympic athlete. You gotta be like Michael Phelps, have... Weird proportions. Yep. Just lo- Superhuman. Long arms. Yeah. Uh, so he, he tried searching for this for uh, a while until he basically aged out of it. He knew he could never do it anymore. Uh, and he, on uh, on his estate, he created a swimming complex where he would have people train for Olympic swimming. Yep. And he created a place where modern pentathletes could train to do that as well. I mean, yeah, he did do quite a few. I mean, I even though like we're gonna get to how he was shitty, he yeah. did a lot of cool things for people. Yeah. Um. He also had the the wrestling facility. See, and that's what we're just about to yeah. talk about. So that's when he discovered his love for wrestling. He met a bunch of Olympic athletes, and John Dupont created like found a weird obsession with wrestling. It's because he had no balls. I think that might be it. I think it was because it, like wrestlers are kind of seen as like really, really manly, mm-hmm. even even though all the jokes that go on about them that it's like yeah. a it's like a fight to the it's it's like being able to like you could kill somebody like if you can beat them in wrestling kind of thing like in hand to hand combat it's kind of like that kind of like macho man kind of mentality even to if it. you do have broccoli ears 
cauliflower. But broccoli is closer than mushrooms, so I'll give you that. Um, and that's when he decides to create that wrestling facility. Yes. He, cre- he creates a wrestling facility, um, and he actually starts his foray into wrestling by building a wrestling facility at Villanova. Yes. Yep. Uh, and even though this man knew nothing about wrestling, he had never wrestled in his life. He made the stipulation that he would fund the program's creation if he could be the head coach. Yeah. So he weasels, weasels his way into being the head coach. And they agreed. They were like, yeah, okay. So he built. That makes me think that maybe their wrestling program wasn't that good. And so no, they were just like, they yeah. weren't. It was discontinued after two years because yeah. uh, there were allegations that he uh, sexually abused an assistant coach. So even though we ain't got no balls, he's still looking to get well, some. Well, I will say, this confused me earlier when I thought he couldn't get a boner. But yeah. now I know he can get a boner, so it makes a little more sense. Yeah, and the the thing is, is he still has a sex drive because he's taking testosterone supplements. Right. If you, usually if you lose your testicles and you're not taking supplements, you don't have a lot of testosterone, so you'll lose your sex drive. Right. Um, but he was taking supplements, so he's still kind of displayed male characteristics and and had all the things associated with testosterone so you you know what john dupont didn't need viagra guess i guess not he could still get fully torqued at a moment's notice um so after he gets kicked out of villanova and they dissolve the whole program there he decides i'm just going to do it myself and that's when he builds the entire complex just on his his estate And calls it uh, and calls it Foxcatcher uh, after the name that his father gave the horse breeding sable so many years ago. Uh, nice little ode to dad. Exactly, and every every good Olympic program needs a leader, right? And even though he he said that he was a coach during the whole the whole time that this Olympic uh, wrestling training center is going on, he knew he had to get someone who knew a little more about it to get people there. And that's when he contacted a guy named Mark Schultz. And now Mark Schultz is just coming off a, a 1984 Olympic gold medal. And his brother, Dave Schultz actually won an Olympic gold medal at the same Olympics. That's kind of funny. Yeah. They're the only two brothers to ever do that to win, to win Olympic gold at the same Olympics. There have been brothers who have done it at separate Olympics, right. but not at the same one. These are, this is the only time it happened. 84, what Olympic? Where were they? Uh, they were in... That wasn't Iran, was it, when they boycotted? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't actually remember, believe it or not. I think Seoul was 88. Okay. But I don't remember where this one was. Um, and Dave Schultz also had won a world championship in 1983. Uh so the 1985 worlds were coming up and Mark Schultz wanted to become, uh, make it so that they were the first brothers to ever win Olympic gold and world gold. It would be the, it would be the first time it, it ever happened. And they were kind of like, they loved each other, but they were fierce rivals when it came to, well, when right. it came to wrestling. You well, know? yeah, they're always trying to outdo, I mean, they're brothers at yeah. the end of the day. And they're, they're like, trying to outdo each other. They're like one weight class apart too. So they're, oh, wow. so they're close in weight. So they're, they, Competed with each other all the time growing up. Yeah, so if one like took a big enough shit, they could yeah. wrestle each other. But Dave was always seen as the better wrestler because Dave actually went into international wrestling before he even graduated high school. Oh, like, wow. like he was good enough to go wrestle on the like the national team before he reached college. It was while he was still a senior in high school. They he missed almost all of the his senior season in high school to go wrestle like in the Olympics. And I mean, then, you can't blame him. 
No, and then when he came back, they, were, they weren't going to let him wrestle in state because he missed all of it. But his coach appealed that it's like, yeah, but he was doing this. So they let him come in, and he he won the tournament. He pinned all of his opponents except for his final opponent, which he beat by uh, 15 points, which is something called a tech fall in wrestling, that if you get up by enough points, they just call it, and they're just like, okay, you win. Oh, interesting. Um, and that was how he won the California State Championship, which well, is one of the because, hardest states to do it in. Um, that's just because he was fighting everybody from like crazy places. Where they have to wrestle each other just to live. It's like, all right, whoever uh, whoever beats Jakob in the wrestling today gets to have bread tonight. I was just right, going to say, you can have this bread if you can beat your brother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Who wants to marry this girl? Kill each other. But the thing is, is that Olympic athletes in America, they're not paid as well as they are in other countries. So, like, Olympic wrestlers in Russia get a salary. Mm-hmm. They get paid yearly by the government so that they get to focus all their time on training. But they don't do that same thing in America. In America, they just they pay for your flight to the Olympics, and they maybe give you some food while you're there, and they give you a hotel, and then that's it. All the training is all done by you. You're never, you're never given money for that. So Mark Schultz is actually kind of poor at this time, too. Like, what's the point if you're just going to be poor? I think it's about competing, and they just want to. They just want to win, and you make enough money because if you hold wrestling clinics, well, right, then you're gonna, yeah. Uh, Mark, Mark Schultz was holding wrestling clinics and holding talks about being an Olympic wrestler. Well, and then you get sponsorships. And- yeah, so you can make money off of it, but they don't pay you at all while you're trying to do it. Uh, so Mark is like flat broke. He just won an Olympic gold medal, but he has no money. He's living in a tiny apartment. Uh, so when he gets a call from one of the richest people in America to come to his estate in Pennsylvania on his dollar, like he's going to fly Mark out and everything, he jumps at it. He shows up, and John DuPont convinces him to head up a new team at Foxcatcher because John basically says, hey, I know that the Russians, they're paying their people. And this is at the time of, like, communism and the Cold War, so they're really, you know, right, they want right. to beat the Russians. Like, the miracle on ice happened with hockey. Right. Where, you know, it's crazy. Um, so... He kind of sympathizes with him. It's like, hey, I know we don't pay you. I know you're broke. I want you to come here, train here. You can live on the estate, and I'll give you $25,000 a year just to train. And I'll, I'll cover your food. In 1980? I don't know. So when you say $25,000 a year, you know, we're thinking, or I was at least thinking, 2020, $25,000 a year. So I was like, that's not that great. Uh, no, that's like, it's almost $80,000 in today's money. So that's like a that's a hefty salary. Yeah, and he's I don't make that much money. And he's covering all living expenses. He's paying for food. Like you don't have to pay anything to live there and you're also getting money on top of it. He's paying for all the transportation to uh competitions and everything. That is good stripper money. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's really good stripper money. <laughs> if you could if, if there was even a strip club anywhere near this place. It's out in like the boondocks in Pennsylvania. The horse stable girls. They just like, here's 10 bucks, like, Nay. do something sexy. Nay for me. Nay. Is that sexy enough? Nay. Trot, 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 trot. Oh, my God. Um, so, obviously, Mark jumps on this deal. He moves He moves into uh, the estate in a full house. He gets set up in a full house all by himself, and he starts training, and he, he gets uh, the ability to craft a team too he gets a whole team of wrestlers together uh to compete nationally so he gets there in uh 19 
84, right after he wins Olympic gold. The 1985 Worlds are coming up, so he does all of his training for the Worlds here at Foxcatcher Farms. He goes to Worlds, and he wins. Yeah, Mark. So Mark and Dave Schultz are now the only brothers still to this day to win Olympic gold and to win world gold. Uh, It's never happened before. And there's this like iconic scene of Mark coming off the mat and hugging John as John leans over the the railing with them because they're all really happy about what happened. But that was about the last good time that Mark Schultz and John DuPont ever had together because from then on, so John was always a bit of an eccentric. We've talked a little bit about yeah. his backstory, about he was isolated. He, he was a mommy's boy. Uh, people literally had to get paid to hang out with him. Um, so he became obsessed with Mark Schultz. He was obsessed with people who he wanted to be. He wanted to be around people who won. And Mark Schultz was a winner, and now it was proven. So he literally like was always there. Mm-hmm. And now that Mark Schultz lives on his property, John DuPont can just show up anytime at your house, whenever. You know, and you kind of owe him a debt or you yeah, feel like you owe him a debt because you're paying because all this. He's your boss. Yeah. And he's paying you all this money. But like, like he wants to be like friends with you. He sh- like John DuPont would go to practices. He would be at the practices with all the wrestlers. And I guess Mark found him really suffocating. Well, I'm sure. So over the next three years before the, uh, the 1988 Olympics, he says that John DuPont was always on his ass like always bugging him and at the 1980 olympics he didn't medal he placed sixth and he blames it on john dupont and he flew home from those olympics he packed up his shit and he got the fuck out of foxcatcher farms he retired from wrestling he never wrestled again after that sounds like he was a sore loser <laughs> he's like i didn't win i'm gonna quit it's funny because in Foxcatcher, the dramatic movie that's exactly how they portray him like he's like he's like sad all the time he's like when he loses he literally like goes into a room and he smashes his face into a mirror and then he orders like a bunch of food and then eats all of it sounds like me whenever i'm sad <laughs> hashtag nina kern on her depressy days um oh wait oh wait wait wait, wait. Yeah, exactly like that. Binge eating. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, he immediately leaves. And then right after he leaves, uh, John DuPont calls up the next best Schultz, or some would argue the best Schultz, Dave. And Dave is, God, Dave is such a nice guy. So, like, Mark Schultz, like, you can kind of tell that he might be kind of a dick. Right. Like, he, he was kind of macho. Um, but Dave is such a nice guy. He's a family man. He's got two kids and on all the videos in the, uh, in the documentaries of him, he just looks like a great dad and like a nice guy. He's always smiling. And they even talked about that. Like he would walk around. He like, he like had this walk where it looked like he was kind of like, like hobbling around because his thigh muscles were so big. Well, there's the thing. It looks like his top is like too heavy for him. Yeah. And that's how he walks. And it's funny because that's how Channing Tatum walks in the movie as well. He like <laughs> got his walk down, but it just looks hilarious. Um, but when he got onto the mat, he was like, like killer instinct. Like he would. Well, I think it's like people. a lot of people who, I mean, I know this is athletics and not performance, but it's like a lot of people who do comedy or, you know, have other person, you know, where they have a persona. Yeah. Their persona is not like their real life. No, but uh, but Dave gets the call from DuPont who offers him the job. And Dave calls Mark and he says, hey, I know you just left there. I got offered a job. I think I'm going to take it. 
because I mean, all for the same reasons. He's right. the, he's, he's, he's an assistant coach. He's an assistant coach at Wisconsin University right now, which they pay you some, but not a lot. You know, it's probably it definitely probably not what he was worth. Oh my god, no! For the amount of hours he's one of the spend. best, and he's one of the best wrestlers in the world, and that takes a lot of training to get to mm-hmm. that years. You know, and Mark tells Dave, "I wouldn't, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to stop you," mm-hmm. which is going to be, I'm sure, Mark beats himself up for that to this day, not telling him to get out and leave right then when he could have. Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, you know, I know if I told my brother not to do something, he wouldn't listen to me. Yeah, that's fair. Or vice versa. So but uh, there's only so much you can do. But I'm sure he did live with a lot of guilt. Yeah. Um, You'll find out why. Yeah. <laughs> you probably guessed why already, but we'll, we'll get to it. So Dave joins on as the new head coach. And uh, this is right... This is right after 88, so right before the 90s. And it's in the 90s where John DuPont takes a big step backwards yeah. in mental health. It's it's really unfortunate, actually, how unchecked his mental health went. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of this could have been avoided if he had gotten the help he needed. Yeah, it, it's right around this time that his mother dies. And we already talked about it. he's got a weird connection with his mother and... He starts getting like super hyper, yeah, hyper paranoid. Like they come back from a competition one day and there's just a security booth set up that they didn't know about. And they like they ask for IDs for all of the people coming in, even though they all live on the property. So they all have to show an ID when they come in. Um, He started bringing a gun to practice like he would come in to practice and he would just like take a gun out of his belt. John would and he would just place it on a table and then go in. To start helping with practice. Sounds, uh, yeah, I, I don't know anyone who has concealed carry that's not paranoid. Well, and, and here's the thing. He, I'm not saying he had concealed carry, but. Well, he was on his property, so he didn't yeah, have didn't to. Matter, but but uh, guns were seen as normal on Lysetter Estate, you know, because it was a big hunting ground, obviously. Fox catcher. They used to do fox hunts right, literally on right. the grounds. They, uh. He had a shooting range on his property, an outdoor shooting range that literally the local police would use for all their firearm training. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good way to get the cops in your back pocket. That was the thing. He had a very close relationship with the police. The sergeant of police lived on the property because he controlled all of the hunting that went on there. Yeah. And it was a big hunting area. Well, right. You have that giant estate. Who knows how much wildlife? Uh, yeah. Not killing the birds, obviously, but it, everything else. In Foxcatcher, there's a scene where he comes in and just shoots a gun into the ceiling. I like during practice. I don't think that actually happens. Like I don't, I don't think know. he shot it, but he did definitely bring one with him. Um, he would literally the weird, like the craziest thing that he did for me was that he would set up a video camera. And just have it record hours of the forest around his mansion. Well, yeah. And then he would be like, did you see that tree move? Yeah, he would sit down and watch it. He would watch all, like, hours of this videotape. And he would invite the wrestlers who were living on the estate to come to the big house that he stayed at. And sit down and watch the film and be like, you see that tree move? Well, if you watch anything long enough, it's going to move. You're, like... Your eye's going to twitch. Well, and that and that's the thing. They like they'd be like no, and he would seem like visibly upset that they that they didn't see anything. And he would like this got super paranoid with trees. He thought the trees were alive. He would say thing like that tree's looking at me, and I know it is. And he would have his security detail that he's recently hired to just go cut it down. <laughs> 
He would also ask his security detail to dig holes randomly throughout the property because he thought that people were burying things there. He would have them go into the practice area while the wrestlers were having practice and search the ceiling tiles with flashlights and guns. This is where this is so tricky because he has literally hired these people to do these things. Yeah. So although it seems weird, it's like who... Also, who are you going to tell? Well, yeah, that's exactly what the head of security said. He was like, it wasn't really my job to question what he wanted me to do. It was my job to give him the facts that he wanted back. Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to tell him, like, that's stupid because right. that's what he hired. He hired me to do this. So I'm right. going to do it. But, and, but maybe. it is disconcerting, though, because it's clear that this man is not OK. Yeah, his paranoia is getting crazy. And he also did other things that were just uncharacteristic behavior for a sane person. Besides all the paranoia, he drove his car into a lake and everyone was like, oh, man, he probably lost control. He drove into a lake and he had a Lincoln and Lincoln sent him a replacement car while he was waiting for his car to get back from the shop after it being literally in a lake. And he had a high-ranking wrestling official come, and he put he was adamant that the guy sit in the back seat, and then he drove that car into the same lake. And did, was there a reason why? Nope. He just drove it into a lake. Well, I'm sure there was a reason why. And then everyone was kind of like, know. oh, you know, John, he's just an eccentric millionaire. You know? He's just yeah, some, he just does super destructive. <laughs> sometimes he just drives his car into the, the lake. lake. Very normal. You know? You know? <laughs> people who do that usually are trying to kill somebody, but... Uh, and he also, his his relationship with the actual wrestling got weirder. He got it into his mind that he, he wanted to be an Olympic wrestler, even though he was literally in his 50s at this point. Right. So he'd show up to the practice and he would wrestle with Olympic caliber wrestlers. And they said things like, it was like wrestling a kid. It was like sad. Like he would try and wrestle you and he would be like trying with like all his might. But well, but I mean, to be fair, he's. He's literally wrestling Olympians yeah. who weight train, all these other but, things. But so, that, yeah, it would be like wrestling a child. But that's the thing. He believed he could actually compete with them in his mind. Mm-hmm. And he actually created a tournament just so that he could compete. He created a tournament and funded something called the Masters Tournament, which was wrestling for people 50 and above, just so that he could enter into a wrestling tournament. And he won that tournament because all of the other competitors were being secretly paid off. Who paid him? So, so here's the thing. John made a agreement with USA Wrestling, who governs all of wrestling in the United States and like hosts the Olympic team usually, that he would give them a stipend of $500,000 a year, half a million, if he could host, if he could be the official host of the national wrestling team at Foxcatcher Farms. So like if Foxcatcher could be the national team, he would give them that much money, but he would have to be an assistant coach, and they were the ones who paid him because he was giving so much money that they wanted to appease him. Not weird at all. Yeah, so they paid the competitors. He won, but he thought he actually won this tournament, and it and he believed that because he won this tournament, he could go and, like, he would show up to the practice and he would be coaching them. These are <laughs> Olympic wrestlers, and I saw a lot of video of this guy wrestle. He does not know what he's doing. Oh, I'm sure he doesn't. He wasn't trained. No, he's standing straight up. He grabs onto the head when he gets taken down. Any wrestlers out there know all of this is really terrible things. Um, I mean, stand, it, it was, I know nothing, and standing straight doesn't sound like a good idea. It was hilariously bad. But he now he thought that he was good enough that he could coach Olympic wrestlers how to wrestle. Ugh. And given all this, in 1993, 
the United States wrestling team and team Foxcatcher became the first team, the first United States team ever to win worlds as a team, to beat the Russians and win worlds as a team. That is, I mean, it's like what was going on that was right. I don't know. I don't know. They, they were the best wrestlers yeah. in America, and they were getting all this time to train. They didn't have to think about anything else. Now they well, could just train. Well, that's true. They were just, they were getting paid. Yeah. Exactly. They could just train and become better, but... John was becoming more and more of an obstacle to this. Like, he was obviously doing drugs. They would show up to his house, and he'd be awake at 4 a.m., and he'd be pacing the floors. He would be scratching at his skin. He would say things like, there are bugs under my skin, often. Um, he also, he had this obsession with the, uh, this is really bad, by the way. This is the part I didn't tell you about because I wanted to surprise you. Oh, boy. He had an obsessive hate for the color black. So he forbade anyone wearing black on the property. No one could be wearing black. The color black was outlawed, basically. And he got rid of all the black horses that his mom owned. He sold all of the horses that were black. Black beauty! And then the worst thing... I know what you're about to say. Yeah, there were four wrestlers, four African-American wrestlers on the team, and he got his lawyer to call all of them up and kick them off. And even the lawyer was like, John, that's that's pretty racist, man. And he's like, no, it's not racist. I just don't like the color black. <laughs> uh, so that was real messed up. And it obviously shows that this guy's not okay. And everyone on the farm knew that he wasn't okay. Multiple people approached him to for him to try and go get help. And he denied that he had a problem and didn't go. Well, yeah, when you're at that point, you aren't going to... Even his doctor talked to him and was like, hey, I think you just have a chemical imbalance. I think like something's wrong. Like Medication can help you with this. And he denied it. He actually set up... He's like, no, a- I don't want to like the color black. <laughs> He's like, this is good for me. If I start taking medicine, I'm going to be okay with the color black. So like, what's he going to do about his TV and stuff? Like, All TVs are black. I don't think he was sane enough to make that kind of, that kind of connection. What about a picture frame? Like, how far did this go? I don't know. Not that far because he didn't say anything about that. But who knows? But Mm -hmm. his doctor even reached out to the wrestlers that were living there because the wrestlers really became like his family because no one else was living there. He would invite them up to the big house for dinner. And his doctor knew that John was close with the wrestlers on there. And they told the doctor, they were like, we need to get him admitted. Something's wrong with him. He's carrying guns more. He's bringing guns to practice, like he said, uh, and they were kind of they were kind of scared. But obviously, John didn't want to go. And you can petition to get someone into a mental hospital yes, against their will. But the thing is, is you have to testify against them to do it. And if all of the wrestlers testified against him, they were worried that he would kick them off the farms and they would literally lose their livelihood because they would go back to having nothing again. Yeah. And I wish that they would have at that point. I wish they would have all yeah, left. Yeah, I think every. I think a lot of. I don't. I think what happened wouldn't have happened. Yeah. If they had. Because that's the thing. All of these. All of these are crazy. You know, they're they're obviously showing that this man's not in his right mind. But this is when things start to turn violent. Right. You know, uh, one night John just fired all of his security guards because he thought they were in on the plot to kill him. You know. And yeah. This is very. This is very like textbook schizophrenia. Yeah, I, I don't know if he was ever diagnosed schizophrenic because I don't right. th- I don't think he had any he didn't have any hallucinations he didn't have any voices um, schizophrenia is a very broad right. term so I, I don't know what they um, 
And at that point in, in the 90s, yeah. it, they even had different Yeah, I don't know. And I don't even know what they diagnosed him as. But uh, one night when he fired his security team, he called one of the wrestlers up by the name of Tony to stay in the house with him overnight because now he had no security team. And while Tony was asleep, he woke up to a gun in his face. John was holding a gun at him. And he said, who's the threat on the farm? And uh, Tony was just kind of like, I don't know what you're talking about, John. And John kind of dropped the gun and like ran out of the room. And then one day, this wrestler, Dan Shade, who was on there, who's the squarest man I've ever seen in my life, by the way. You know you know, someone's a good wrestler if they're built like a couple like rectangles like stacked on top of each other. Yep. Uh, and that's all of the wrestlers in this, by the way. And all the wrestlers I've ever seen in real life back when I was wrestling, if they were good, they were shaped like boxes. Like SpongeBob. Yeah, they were SpongeBob. SpongeBob and SpongeBob was a wrestler. Wrestle pants. SpongeBob. Oh, I did it come Wrestle through. pants. Yeah, he did come SpongeBob, through. Before this is before we talk about gun violence, so that's fun. Uh, so Dan Chade gets a gets contacted by John's lawyer, telling him to leave the farm mm-hmm. for some reason. He doesn't really give a reason. He's like, John wants you gone, and he's like, fuck that. You know, he's like, I've been training so hard here. You know, he was a, he was also obviously a really good wrestler. He was an integral part of the team. He's like, I'm not fucking leaving. So John just like gets a U-Haul and parks it in front of his house that he's staying at. Just really passive aggressive and just leaves it there. And when Dan Chade still didn't leave, he goes to the weight room one day and John comes into the weight room in the practice complex with like everyone around and pulls out a machine gun, points it at him. And says, don't you fuck with me. I want you off this farm. Like, while pointing a gun at him. A machine gun, too. A machine gun. Like, not like a handgun. Like, a full-on machine gun. And I guess Dan Che just kind of put his hands up and said, I don't know what your problem is, John. I've only tried to be a friend with you. And then John also, he like he, like, backs down, drops the gun, and then runs back to the big house. Good thing it didn't go off. I mean, that's that's the thing. It, it was it was a matter of time. There were so many warning signs from this guy. Right. You know, and, and after that happened, Dan woke up. Dan still didn't leave immediately. Dan has a screw loose because I'd have left as soon as the U-Haul was parked. Yeah, I would have been like, okay, you know what? I'll, you I'll, obviously yeah. don't want me here. I'm, like, a, I'm a go. Okay, I'll fuck off. I get it. Um, but no, he goes back to his house. He goes to sleep somehow. He wakes up the next day and the house next to his burnt down coincidence so someone overnight burned down his house i wonder who it could be maybe the guy who threatened him with a gun the day before or he had somebody do it and see that's the thing is dan went immediately to the police after this finally and the police basically laugh it off they're like uh i've known dan for a long time because they did all their training there he knew them very he also donated a lot of money to local police um I know, I've known John for a long time. He wouldn't do that, you know. They, he, oh, yeah, yeah, he wouldn't. No, 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 no. He's just kind of funny like that, you know. He loves to burn shit down. And Dan also went to Colorado and spoke immediately, immediately with the USA wrestling team. And he said, he said, something is wrong there. You need to get those wrestlers out of there because John DuPont is not a sane man. He is going to hurt someone. And they get on this big conference call. With, with everyone overseeing Team Foxcatcher. And 
Dave Schultz is on the call and they have this hour long debate about are we going to pull are we going to pull the team and stop the funding from John DuPont? Are we going to stay there? And Dave Schultz says, I have my family here. If I if I thought something was going to happen to them, I'd be gone in a second. And he was the deciding voice that kept USA wrestling team and team Foxcatcher on Lysetter Estates. And that brings us to 1996, where Dan Shade came back to the house to pack up finally after they've had this whole decision. He knows that the team's still staying there. He packs up his house in the U-Haul and he leaves in it, but he leaves his van because he's driving the U-Haul and he leaves the van parked at Dave Schultz's house. And this kind of uh, ticks John off. Yeah, it really bothers him. Yeah, John thinks, well, why Why is Dan's van there? Right, he doesn't under, he's, he can't even have a logical conversation at this point. Yeah, so why is, why is Dan's van there? What's he got in it? What does Dave know about it? And he shows up one night drunkenly to Dave's house with a shotgun. And he's, and he tries to come in and Dave stops him at the door and he's like, what are you doing, John? You know, you can't come into my house like this. Cause Dave was the only one who had ever kind of stand up to John. Yeah. And he always said, he's like, John's not going to do anything to me. John knows me. I know John, you know, they were, they were close. Um, but John is drunk. He falls, he hits his head on the windowsill he cuts himself open. He They need to call a doctor to come put stitches in. And they take him back to the house. They lay him down. He goes to sleep. And he wakes up the next morning not remembering what happened because he was so drunk. And he gets it into his mind that Dan Chade must have attacked him, must have assaulted him. Even though Dan Chade was so far gone from the property in the U-Haul and they know he was. Right. But John goes to the police and the police don't want to tell him no. Right. You know, because they know he'll get upset with them. So they go and they question Dave and they, and Dave obviously says, no, Dan didn't attack him. He fell. He hit his head on the windowsill. And basically John knows he said this. John knows that Dave said that Dan didn't attack him, but John is paranoid now. Well, I was going to say, John's already convinced that Dan has attacked him. Like nothing is going to stop him from thinking that. No, he thinks this has happened. And now he thinks that Dave has betrayed him. Right. And that's when all of this, the whirlwind of guns and paranoia and drugs all finally comes to a head because early in 1996, they have a house party. And Dave is on the back shooting uh, bottle rockets off the porch, you know, and John keeps looking at him funny. And John finds Tony, who he woke up with a gun earlier, and he pulls him aside and he tells him, I've identified the threat on the farm. And I'm going to get rid of it. Mm. And I don't know why Tony didn't say anything, but I sure wish he did. Yeah. Because on January 26, 1996, a heavy storm passes through Pennsylvania, dropping feet of snow on Lysetter Farms. There's a bunch of home videos of uh, Nancy Schultz, Dave wife, Dave's wife and his two kids out playing in the snow that morning. And John's head of security comes to his house at John's behest. And John says, we need to... Uh, Survey the, the survey the fences and the outside perimeter of the 
of the estate and see if something's wrong. See if the snow ruined anything. Mm-hmm. And, the security, and the security head is like, okay. So they get in their car. They're driving around. And John pulls up to Dave's house. Dave's outside uh, working on his car in the driveway. And John just rolls down his window. And then Dave says, hey, coach. John's like, you got a fucking problem with me? Just unprompted, you know. And John pulls a handgun from the center console and points it out the window. And Dave puts up his hands. He says, whoa, John. And then uh, John shoots him. Yeah. First in the arm and then through the chest. And then Dave crawls away and John fires a final shot into his back. As he was crawling away. So John shot Dave Schultz three three times. times. And at this point, Nancy runs out of the house too because she's been inside preparing a meal. And she runs outside and she sees her husband crawling away as John fires the third bullet into him and he points the gun at her and she runs inside and immediately calls 911. Yeah. You know, and it's a really gut-wrenching call to 911. She she's literally it's a wireless phone so she runs out of the house and she's holding Dave. You're doing a really good job at making this hella sad. Yeah, well, it is a murder. I know. Uh she's holding Dave uh and she's on the phone call with the 911 operator as Dave takes his last breath. And this whole time, John DuPont yeets it out of there. Yeah, he yeeted. You know, the security the security uh, officer that was with him jumped out of the car uh, as John started to fire, and he leaves him behind, and he he runs off back to the back to his big house, and he he goes inside the house, and there's a big safe that he locks himself into, and that's when. The police around the home, the police that John has funded, that he has had them have their firearm training on the grounds all surround the house. And I actually have uh, the opening to a news uh, piece that happened at this time loaded up. The standoff between a SWAT team and the heir to a fortune continues tonight. Police say John DuPont shot Olympic wrestling great Dave Schultz last night. Now he's facing off with police as they try to negotiate an end to that standoff. Kristen Z is in Pennsylvania. So that's them them outside. They somehow let him negotiate instead of just there's no one in the house. He has no hostages. But I think because the police knew John DuPont so well, they didn't immediately go in and just right. and just take him out of there because they knew this guy, even though he literally just murdered someone in cold blood uh, and they're outside. And they call him, and they're trying to negotiate for him to come out. He refers to himself as His Holiness at one point. Um, he had been known to refer to himself as Jesus or the Dalai Lama previously to this as well. Okay, Kanye. Yeah, so he should have just, instead of locking instead of killing someone, locking himself in a vault, he just should have released some rap albums. He'd be super famous. John DuPont sounds like a rap name anyway. <laughs> and his nickname was Eagle. He made everyone call him Eagle or the Golden Eagle. Fire. So it's John the Golden Eagle DuPont. It'd be yeah. a fire on a mixtape. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. That's uh, my record squeaking. That's terrible. Skr, 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 skr. You sound I like can't. a mouse. I don't know. <laughs> I don't rap. I know you don't. So they literally, in in a uh, news briefing after this, they said that it was at 9 p.m. that uh, 
John DuPont had decided to go to sleep. So we let him go to sleep and terminated all communication with him that night. So they just, they knew we went to sleep and they just left him in there. They were like, okay, we'll talk to him tomorrow. Well, didn't they then like turn the lights out in the house? Yeah, they turned the electricity off. But like this guy just killed somebody. Just go in and get him. There's no one else in the house. I know. It is really just because he wasn't even threatening to hurt himself at that. You know yeah, what I this, mean? This is, like, this is obviously just like the they, they know him. Yeah. And they don't want to go in and, and pull him out and make a scene. No. But, Which, like, who's going to see the scene? They're on his know. farm. I don't know. Well, there were a bunch of news cameras and shit, oh, but whatever. Yeah, but who cares? Um, so, yeah, they cut off his power, and this is obviously middle of winter. There was just that storm, so it's cold as fuck inside. So he get he literally is on the phone with him, and he's like, he's like, you guys got to get the heat fixed in here. And he's like, I'm sorry, we we can't do that. We can't someone to, we can't send someone to go look at it because we don't know if they'll get hurt or if you'll hurt him. He's like, they're not going to get hurt here. Would you just let me go out and look at it? And literally the guy's like, uh, let me, let me talk to my, my boss. Basically. He was like, let me talk to uh, some other people. And then he's like, okay, yeah, you talk to them and call me back. He's like, no, 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 no. They're, they're right here. Like, he's like looking to them off the side. He's like, no, 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 they're, they're right here. Uh, they, they say that's a, okay. Yeah. Come, come on out and look at it. And as he comes out, they tackle him, tackle him to the ground. And they, uh, <laughs> and they, they arrest John DuPont, thankfully. Uh, now that being said, it was never a question if he shot Dave Schultz. No, everybody knew it. There were two eyewitnesses that saw Wait. him shoot Dave Schultz. We know that John DuPont shot Dave Schultz. That's not the question. But he still pleaded guilty, or pleaded not guilty, rather. He pleaded not guilty <laughs> by reason of insanity. Well. And here's the thing. He, he was kind of crazy. But uh, if you're found not guilty by reason of insanity, that means that you at the time did not know what you were doing was wrong or didn't know that there would be consequences for your actions. And here's the thing. He he showed remorse after this, too. He said, I'm sorry that Dave's not with us anymore. Stuff like that. And people who are insane usually won't do that because they won't have understood that there was right and wrong in the decision that they were making. Right. So they tried to build this defense on insanity and they call all of the other wrestlers in and they basically tell them, like, hey, we'll invite you back to Foxcatcher. You can go back. Yeah, you can be head coach. We'll increase your pay. All you have to do is come back and be a witness that John didn't mean to do this. So they were literally offering money to the other wrestlers in order for so them shitty. for them to flip it's on their friend so, who just got shot to death. It's so shitty. And support their murderer. Which is this is, my God, this is the worst thing you can get with money, right? You know, like you shoot someone, you literally try and pay off other people to come to your aid that were friends with the person you shot. No, that's crazy. And none of them testified, obviously. They all said, fuck you. We're not right, doing that. Right. And the jury in 1997 came back after deliberating for a few days with a guilty verdict for murder in the third degree. Which basically proved that he was mentally ill at the time, but he wasn't insane. So he had mental problems that maybe kept it from being premeditated, but that wasn't enough to keep him from knowing that his actions were wrong. So that he still he still knew there were consequences for his actions when he did them. Uh, and he was sentenced to up to 30 years in prison. And at that point, he was 60. Yeah. So that's a life sentence. It's basically a life sentence. Uh, the minimum he could serve, I think, was six. It was six to 30. 
Uh, but he did get denied parole once. Yes, he should have. And on top of that, also Nancy, uh, Dave's wife, sued him in a wrongful death lawsuit, uh, which was settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. So they did get something from this. As they should have. Yeah, obviously. So they, they got justice in multiple ways. And one of the things he did while he was in prison, he still bought and sold stuff while he was in prison because you're rich. I guess he could do that. He still bought and sold stamps, even though he couldn't get them at the prison. Like they couldn't be given to him, but he would still buy okay. and sell them all the time. All Don't right. know why. He's a weird dude. And he also had all of the buildings on Lysetter Farms painted black. Wow. Yeah. All of the buildings painted black. After that whole obsession with the hatred of black, he had all of the buildings painted well, black to show his, his depression. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it was his downfall. So In 2010, uh, after he had already been in prison for 13 years, John DuPont finally passed away from COPD at the age of 72. And in his will, because he was still worth $200 million at the time of his I incarceration. I don't understand how he was making money. They had money. They was just that rich. Basically, they, they're invested in real estate. That's mostly oh, from trust okay, funds. Okay. Like the DuPont family has billions of dollars. Right. So he just has some million. But yeah. he, yeah, he was invested in real estate and quite a few things. But, but, but yeah, he left all of the money in his will, not to any family members of the DuPont family line, but to one of the wrestlers who was at Foxcatcher Farms and who actually lived in the same house as Dave Schultz. His family lived with Dave Schultz's family. Oh, that's his, weird. His name was Valentin Yordanov Dmitriev. He was a Bulgarian wrestler. And that was another one of, like, John DuPont's delusions, is that he believed he was Bulgarian. But everyone would tell him, was like, you're from a very prominent French family. Like, you're he's not like, Bulgarian. Like, you're wrong. You're wrong. He, yeah, he, was, he would say things like, oh, that's just because of my Bulgarian heritage. I really, I really, like agree with Valen- with Valentin because we're both Bulgarian. And they're like, you're not Bulgarian, dude. Weirdo. Yeah, but but the thing is, is Valentin took the money. He has the, I mean, I would have too. He has the money. He hasn't given any of it to, like, Dave's family or anything, though. I think that's kind of fucked up. Yeah, it's pretty shitty. Because they were supposedly really good friends, but he just kept all the money after it, like, hundreds of millions of dollars. And his family, DuPont's family, kind of contested the will because they said yeah. he wasn't of sound mind when he made yeah. it and they brought up the fact that he called himself jesus and the dalai lama and a judge ruled that he knew what he was doing enough so he gave all the money to uh to valentin who lives a i'm assuming a pretty good lifestyle in bulgaria I right mean, now i would guess uh and then john dupont was buried as per his will wearing his red fox catcher singlet I forgot what a singlet was. Do you need me to tell you? Like you still no, don't I remember? remember okay, no. yeah. It's the little unitard. Yeah, I got some pictures of me in one somewhere. I don't uh, want to see. I was showing them to Jesse the other day. That's a thing that you and her can look at. I'm okay. Well, there you go. Um, but yeah, so that's the story of John Dupont. The John Dupont, the heir to the great uh, chemical company, uh, who turned ornithologist, philatelist, philanthropist. Uh, wrestlingist, wrestlingist, uh, <laughs> to murderist, to murderist, and yes, so that's the story of the only, the only person listed on the top four hundred richest people in the world list to ever be convicted of murder. So, 
Thank you guys so much, all of our listeners out there, for listening to the first season of White Collars, Red Hands. We've already grown immensely from the first episode. Yeah, um, you know, us and how we run the podcast has grown a lot. The numbers, we're floored by the numbers. We just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for the support. Um, It's been insane. I mean, we literally record this in my living room. We're not a big podcast producing company. Uh, that has a bunch of workers. It's me and Nina and a couple of microphones. We started off with one. And now we have two. And now we have two. Actually, we, now we have like a, you know, it's a, it's a pretty little fancy yeah. setup. We we bought a pretty nice podcast setup. So hopefully you've liked the last. a pretty nice podcast setup. Yeah, I did well, not. Hopefully you guys have liked the, the past two episodes because we're hoping that they're a little bit better uh, than some of the others. I think that the, the sound quality is going to be a lot better in those. They are. So, um. If you want to keep supporting us, if you like what you hear here and you want to support us before season two comes back, if we take two weeks off, then please like our uh, Facebook. That's facebook.com slash white collars, red hands. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at white collars pod. Uh, all of them update on episodes every single week and have links to the episodes as well as our Instagram at um, white collars underscore red hands. So, um, Thank you so much. We actively read reviews uh, and we try to grow off of them. We've already made changes based on recommendations from you guys. I'm not changing my voice. (laughs) She can't do that. You could talk like Mickey Mouse. (laughs) Ha ha boy. Ha ha. I'm Nina Curry. Why don't you follow white colors and red hands? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's a bit. Do I sound pretty now? Do I sound pretty now? Oh my God. You sound like something that would be hiding under my bed. <laughs> Jokes on Kashana, I already hide under his bed. Yikes, I got a lot of stuff down there. It's hard for you to fit. It's cozy. So we're looking, we're so thankful for you. We're looking forward to many more tales of corruption, theft, and murder. So we'll see you next time on another season of White, White Collars, Collars Red, Red Hands. Hands.